Now, find your seats. I want to introduce our speaker, who, for most of us, needs no introduction. But uh, for the last nine years, uh, we've had uh, Francis Chan back to uh, preach here at Westmont. And uh, he is a friend of this college uh, just because he has been so faithful in proclaiming uh, God's truth to us. Uh, besides the fact that he's just really good at what he does, we just, we just love him. We really enjoy him. He's uh, been pastor and founding pastor with his wife of uh, Cornerstone Community Church uh, in Simi Valley. That's 15 years going now. He, uh, they also founded a, a Bible college there, Eternity uh, Bible College, which he's now chancellor. He's ceased being president and is now the uh, chancellor. He speaks about every day, uh, somewhere, someplace. And uh, Francis, we just, well, we just like you, but we, we're so glad you're here. Uh, the Lord bless you and keep you and make his face shine upon you as you open the word of God to us. Let's welcome Francis Chan. It's pretty funny, you know, when he said that uh, I've been here nine years and, uh, and I just got lost trying to find the gym. Um, I, I was down by the tennis courts and I could have sworn it was further down and I'm trying to figure out how to get there. So I finally asked for directions, which was a first for me. Um, you guys are catching me on a very, very weird day. Um, I've been pastoring my church for 15 years and, um, yesterday something happened that has never happened before. Um. I couldn't finish the services. Uh, I preached the first two, and I just, I, I couldn't, I just couldn't do it. Like, and I'm, I'm, uh, I'm one of those guys that I, I just don't like to admit any type of weakness, and I'm just going to fight through it. And I just think there's just too many sissies in the ministry already, you know, that oh, it's so hard, man, you know, and and so it's like, man, suck it up, go, because so much of it is just laziness and weakness and blah blah blah. And so for 15 years, you know, I'm, I'm doing fine. And then yesterday was like, I can't do it. I got to church. I was supposed to talk about rejoicing. And I saw our worship pastor was like, hey, you set? I'm like, no, I'm mad. <laughs> and he's all, what? I go, I'm just like a, in a terrible mood. I want to go home right now. And he goes, well, we got this whole rejoicing service ready for you. And I go, you know what? I'm going to go in that other room. I, I, I don't want to I don't want to rejoice with everyone. I'll just sit in there until it's time to preach. But it was it was like it was like when I was a kid, you know, when you have that little temper tantrum and your mom and dad go, OK, go in your room and pout. We're going to have fun. And you hear everyone laughing and you're sitting in the room. I don't care. It's stupid, you, you know, and. <laughs> And I was totally doing that, and, and you know, in the little prayer room, you know, listening as the, our worship leader is like, "Hey, everyone, share something you're rejoicing in." And I just hear this roar of laughter and joy, and I'm just in the room going, I'm "Not going to do it. I don't care. That's stupid." You know, just like this. I knew what God wanted me to do. He wanted me to rejoice. He did. And 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 you know, in the Bible, you don't just rejoice when when you feel like it, but you rejoice in the Lord at all times. Rejoice in the Lord always. And uh, it was just, it was a bad day. And, and, and it's so strange because, okay, I'm also one of those people that I don't, uh, I don't attribute a whole lot to spiritual warfare. See, I, I grew up in a time when uh, people used to mock the churches because they would attribute everything to a demon, you know? 
like I was walking to chapel and a demon took me to the tennis courts. No, I just I don't have a good sense of direction. You know, that's what really happened. You know, but but everything, you know, it came at a time when everything was a demon. Oh, my shoelace got untied. Satan, knock it off. You know, it's just it, it was just this extreme. And uh, there was this old skit on Saturday Night Live where, you know, there's, you know, there's the church lady that was just mock- oh, maybe it was Satan, you know, and and it was just everything was mocking that whole side of things. So I swung to the opposite end of the spectrum where everything was explained physically, you know, and go, no, that's just life and 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 really ignored that spiritual world. But the more I study the scriptures, the more I realize, no, that there are a lot of things that go on in this room that you and I don't see. Do you believe that right now in this room? There's a spiritual warfare going on that you and I don't see. You believe that? Let me ask you a harder question. Do you live like you believe that? Do your actions show that you really believe that there's something going on here that's spiritual and not just physical? So I don't come up here and think, okay, if I craft this sermon just right and say just the right words, it'll change your life. But no, there's that's just such a small, tiny piece of the puzzle, but there's something spiritual going on in here. I was reading the other day that passage in Second Kings six was always so so strange to me um, because it's it's that story where uh, the the king of Syria is trying to attack Israel. He's trying to attack Israel, but every time he goes to attack them, they've moved or they're in a different place. It's like someone's warning them. And so the king of Syria takes Syria, king of uh, yeah, Captain Crunch takes his uh, <laughs> king of Syria takes his leaders. And and basically questions them. <laughs> I can't even think straight. They drink Captain Crunch. Okay, so King of Syria takes his leaders and goes, hey "Man, is is one of you a spy or one of you, you know, a traitor?" And and someone goes, "No, it's not us." He goes, "It's that Elisha guy. Every time he knows what you say in your bedroom. It's like he warns Israel. He knows your next move. He knows everything. It's like God speaks to them. So the King of Syria gets his army and they go and they surround." Elisha, if, if you remember that story, and then uh, and then his, his servant, his servant wakes up. The man, the servant of the man of God, rose early in the morning and went out. And behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, "Alas, my master, what shall we do?" And so then Elisha says to him, "Don't be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them." Then Elisha prayed and said, "O Lord." Please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance to the prayer of Elisha. That's crazy. I mean, here he, Elisha is, and he's surrounded by this army, and his servant's like, man, what do we do? Look at this huge army. And Elisha just, he's totally calm. He just goes, God, open his eyes. He didn't see what's going on here. And suddenly the servant of God, his eyes were opened, and he sees these chariots and horses of fire. Like, what is that? This spiritual war that's going on. And then, then as these people come to attack, Elisha just calmly goes, God, uh, Make them blind. 
struck him with blindness. And suddenly all those people were struck with blindness and couldn't capture him. See, I think that most of you, maybe, maybe even all of you, would, would say, I believe that happened. But I wonder how many of you would say, I believe that happens. And I live like that happens. Like there's still that going on, that, that things haven't changed, that there's still this spiritual war that's going on. And, and I look at that story, I'm like, wow, there's a, there's a power there. There's, a, there's an amazing power there that's available, you know, to him. And, and, and I, I just go, oh, Lord, that, that's, that's what I want. I know what I can do. I want, I want to see what you can do. I, I think a few chapters earlier, when you have that story that, that, that we're all familiar with, the story of Elijah. Elijah on Mount Carmel, remember that? When they set up the two altars and there's the prophets of Baal. And, and, and it talks about how these prophets of Baal, you know, they're trying to get their God to light this altar on fire. It was this competition between Yahweh and Baal. And so the prophets of Baal, hundreds of them are dancing around, 450 of them. And it says that they, uh, they cut themselves. They cried aloud and cut themselves after their custom with swords and lances until the blood gushed out upon them. And as midday passed, they raved on until the time of the offering of the oblation. But there was no voice. No one answered. No one paid attention. Since these guys were, were dancing around, jumping around, cutting each other all day long. Blood is gushing out of their bodies. But at the end of the day, no one really listened. And then it's Elijah's turn. He goes, are you guys done? It's my turn. And Elijah just prays. He says, O Lord God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known this day that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant, and that I have done all these things at your word. Answer me, O Lord. Answer me that this people may know that you, O Lord, are God, and that you have turned their hearts back. Then the fire of the Lord fell and consumed the burnt offering and the wood and the stones and the dust and licked up the water that was in the trench. And when all the people saw it, they fell on their faces and said, The Lord, He is God. The Lord, He is God. These, these, these pro- I mean, these guys were against Yahweh. These guys were fighting against him. And by the end of the time, they're walking away going, okay, uh, Elijah, whoever your God is, that's the real God. The Lord, the, you call him the Lord? The, the Lord, Yahweh, he's God, he's God. Uh, Baal, Baal's nothing. You, your God is the real God. They walked away just in awe of God. And I love that because they didn't walk away going, wow, Elijah's awesome. He's such a great prayer guy. You know, he's just such a great speaker. They just walked away amazed with God. I mean, when, when's the last time someone walked out of church and just went, the Lord, he's God, the Lord, he's God. When's the last time someone walked out of chapel here and just go, man, I don't know what happened there, but the Lord, he's God. That, that God that you guys worship and sing to, he's the real one. I just know it. I just know it. See, I, I, my fear is sometimes maybe we sound more like the prophets of Baal than we sound like Elijah. Where we can have these worship services and, and we're jumping, we're singing, and, and after we go, man, wasn't that awesome? Man, we went for like an hour straight just singing our hearts out, everything else. But at the end of the day, did anyone really answer? 
Was there something supernatural that happened? I mean, don't you, I mean, if you're at peace with everything, man, just don't even listen to me. But others of you, man, don't you just sometimes read this book and go, I know there's more. There's something more. There's more than this. There's more than getting a guy that can speak and listening to him and going, wow, he's, he's very convinced. Oh, he did this good. He's really smart. He's this, he's that. There's something about leaving a room and going, man, I just I want to experience you, God. I mean, there's times when I've prayed before I'm speaking and I just go, God, I just want to experience you. I'm done with what I can do. Man, I don't care if you have the ceiling fall. Kill a few of us. At least I walk away going, okay, God showed up. You know, and we would all think about eternity or something. But I, honestly, I just get I do. I get I get bored. I get bored of what I can do, because the truth is, and this may sound blasphemous to you, but the truth is, is I can call, I can make people pray a prayer. I can I can talk people into walking down an aisle and crying and praying a prayer. You get the music just right. And everything else, and I tell just the right story. People walk up an aisle and pray a prayer. Now, will their lives change and will they truly be followers of Jesus? And are they the types of people that would die for Jesus? No, but it'll look good that night. And people walk away celebrating. Ooh, you know, that was good. God really moved. No, I just told a good story. But then there's other times when when someone gives their life to Jesus and they really do it and they follow him to the point where, man, they'll sell everything. They'll live on nothing. They'll repent. They'll be in these relationships where they just know that's just right. I'm just going to ditch it all. I'm going to follow Jesus. And you're you're even shocked. Like, no, really? You're going to give it all up? You're really going to follow him? And years pass and they're still following him. And you go, you know what? I didn't manipulate that. Like they had an experience with God. It was the real thing. It wasn't mommy and daddy raising them in a Christian home. And so they just kind of follow along. But no, the Holy Spirit got a hold of their lives. I'm really trying to understand what it meant when Jesus said, you know, uh, he, he says, it's to your advantage that I go away. It's to your advantage that I go away. Because unless I go away, I, I can't send the counselor here. And, and when I send, man, you're going to do greater things. You're going to do greater things. And I, I'm looking at that and going, man, I'm looking at that New Testament church and going, man, everyone felt a sense of awe. There were, there were people just didn't really care about their stuff anymore. They were just consumed, obsessed with Jesus. And I'm saying, Lord, would the Holy Spirit just fall upon the church in that way? Where it's not a bunch of people sitting in a room and just facing forward, singing a couple songs, hearing a sermon, then walking off and not doing anything. Just doesn't make any sense. I mean, hasn't it always bugged you where where when you're alone with this book? I mean, do you really have peace when you read this book? Do you I mean I, I know we say it and, and but we lie a lot in church and Christian gatherings. Do you really have peace when you read this book when you're alone? You read this book and then you go to church. So I remember even in high school reading this book and, and, and seeing some things in this book and going, man, that was awesome. Then I'd go to church. And I'd, I'd feel like it seems like two different things, two different commitments we're talking about. But no one else at church seems bugged by it. So I'm not going to say anything. I'm just a kid. But every time I would read this book, I'm going, no, there's more to this. There's more to God's power. There's more to this commitment in following Jesus. There's more to Christ that we're missing out on. There's more to the church of this loving and caring for one another. Where You see, you read the book of Acts and, and, and you see these people who they began to sell all their possessions. Why? Because they just saw someone rise from the grave. 
And they're going, I, I, don't, I don't care. I don't care about my stuff anymore. I care about you. I care about this kingdom, this family that God's called us to. But I don't care about my stuff. Here, you can have it. I, I just want this Jesus. And we look at that life and it's radical. It's radical, but it makes sense. It totally makes sense that if you saw one of your best friends crucified, then rise from the grave. Wouldn't it make sense that suddenly that's all that matters? I just saw someone rise from the grave. That's never happened before. I just saw that. Nothing else matters. He was right then about eternity. So here, here's my stuff. I don't care. You take it. You take it. None of my stuff is my own anymore. I'll sell it as anyone has need. See, while it's radical, it makes sense. What wouldn't have made sense is if I'm reading the book of Acts and it says, oh, they saw Jesus rise from the grave. So once a week they got together and had really good music and a good speaker. I'd go, they didn't see it. They didn't see anything. He didn't really rise from the grave. Because they really believed in the resurrection. Their whole lives would have changed. I know, I'm kind of like just vomiting on you. Um, But I just feel like for so many years, I just kept quiet about what I'd read in Scripture and the vast difference between what we read and what we see. Um, It's like Beth Moore says in one of her books, I don't know which one, my wife was reading it to me. It said, uh, she said, the gap between our theology and our reality is so big that it sets us up for ridicule. It's like what we say we believe and then how we live. They're just two totally different things. And no wonder why the world mocks us. But I, what I get excited about is I do see a change happening in the church. And it's not people rebelling and getting angry at the church. We've got enough people angry at the church. Understand, I love the church. I pastor the church. I shepherd the church. I'm crazy about the church of Jesus Christ. The answer is not to run from that. And we have other people who say, yeah, the church isn't working. The old traditional study the Bible, teach the Bible isn't working. You guys, and so they run from the Bible to other things. That's, that's such the wrong answer. The problem isn't that we're not studying this book. It's, it's that we're not really living it. It's, it's a theological integrity that, that we can, we've, we've figured out a way to hear the word of God and then walk away. You know, it's like looking in the mirror like James says and goes, man, that was very convicting. That was very convicting. And we fool ourselves into thinking, oh, I was so convicted in chapel today. Oh, praise God. Me too. I even cried. Really? I kind of did. Right on. You know, what a great chapel. You guys. Conviction is not a fruit of the Spirit. Okay? That's great that you got convicted. But where's the fruit? What did you do? Did you see? It's like, wow, that's a really big zit. You know, I'm really convicted about it. And then you just walk away. You didn't even pop it. You didn't even use that cover-up thing, you girls. It's just, that's, that's what we do. You know, James mocks that person. And yet we figured out a way in the church to do this. And I'm going, man, you guys, you, you've got such great... Bible teaching here. You know, you got people coming to the chapel teaching you the Word of God. You got an amazing campus pastor and you're hearing all of this stuff, but we can so easily deceive ourselves if we don't do it. If we're not experiencing the power of God. And we can become like a you know, the people that Paul confronts in Philippians 3 where he says, you know what, they're all boasting about what they've done in the flesh. He goes, I've done all that. And he goes, in the end, he goes, I want to know Christ. Philippians 3.10, I want to know Christ. I just want to know Jesus. 
He goes, I know what I can do. I can know what I can accomplish. He goes, I want to know Jesus and I want to know the power of his resurrection. I mean, how many people have you met that you just look at their lives and go, man, that person is powerful. I'm not saying talented. I've met talented people. I've met a lot of talented people. I've met a lot of intelligent people. They're so much smarter than me. Sometimes I get jealous. I'm like, man, he's brilliant. I wish I had that mind. Or that guy's such a good leader. I wish I could lead like that. I'm just going down the line. Oh, listen to that person sing. I would... I'm not talking about I'm talking about power. You know, every once in a while you'll meet someone where you go, wow, he's not even that good of a speaker. But when he speaks, like things happen in that room. And I don't even understand it. Like, my life changes. I mean, literal change takes place. There's people you hang out with, and, and, and they're just powerful. And Paul says, look, I don't want to know about me. I want to know Christ, and I want to know the power of his resurrection. But then he says something so crazy and something that I hated for years, and I didn't like this verse. Because if it ended there, I would have loved it. I want to know Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. But then it says, and may share in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death, that by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. So Paul goes, I want to know Christ. I want to know everything about Christ. I want to know the power of his resurrection. You know, and I also want to share in his suffering. I promise you, when I was your age, I did not want to share in his suffering. When I became a Christian in high school, I prayed, God, oh, I, I, I love you. I thank you that I get to go to heaven. I thank you that you're my savior. But please don't, don't have me lose my popularity. Don't have me lose this or that. I don't want any of the suffering. So, so this passage always bugged me because I'm like, man, what do you mean you want to know? You, you want to share in his sufferings. But, but he talks about this fellowship of sharing in his suffering. There's something he wants Christ so badly that he goes, man, if I can suffer so that I can experience the same thing he did and there'd be the sweet intimacy with him. I finally have been able to pray this, this, this verse and really mean it because I thought to myself, oh, wait, can you imagine if, if you shared in the suffering? Let's say, just imagine, I know, make believe, but Jesus says to you, I'm going to the cross tomorrow. Will you stand next to me? Will you come be crucified with me? Like I thought, okay, would I want that? And I just began picturing myself, okay, he's being beaten and I'm right next to him, looking him in the eyes and getting beaten also. And just that, can you imagine the fellowship you would have with Jesus Christ if the two of you were being beaten together? Can you imagine how close you would feel to Jesus at that moment? Can you imagine as they're hammering the nails into your hands and Jesus right next to you just looking in the eye, come on, hold on, hold on, hold on. And just, it's just him and I just looking at each other. Okay, Jesus. Okay, Jesus. Like, I, I just, I believe it would be worth it to be that close to Jesus, the Son of God, the Creator of the world. Do you want Christ enough to where you go, oh, I, I, I'd want that. Like, I love Jesus so much that I want to share in his sufferings. And if I could go back to the cross, I would do it. I would go right by his side. And I think some of you would, but the, 
What this is teaching, though, is that when we suffer now, when we choose to suffer now, there's a fellowship of sharing in his sufferings. And I can't explain this. I just know that like, like the other yes, yesterday or the day before, I'm reading this book um, called Bruchko. I don't know if some of you may have read it, it by Bruce Olson, this missionary. And he was talking about how there was this one point he was in this hut and they're firing arrows at him. Arrows are just flying through his hut, but they're not piercing his skin. It's just nailing him. And it's tremendous pain. He's just getting hit by all sides by these arrows. And he says at that moment, he goes, man, it was like Jesus was in the room and suddenly I was okay. Like I, 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 I don't I forget if he said he saw him or he was there. I'm thinking, no way. Like he says, once I saw him, it was like everything was OK. And I could take the I could take the arrows and take the pain. I was in Korea a, a couple months ago and, uh, and and I had dinner with this guy. And do you remember those uh, Korean missionaries that were captured in Afghanistan? Remember, it was like a year, year and a half ago, two years ago. And uh, they were killing him one at a time. There were 23 of them. This was one of the guys. This is one of the guys that was there and he was telling me about how the Taliban divided them into groups of three and just took them to remote places. But he says the last day we were together, there were 23 of us in a circle. And and he goes, you know, one of the ladies, actually, we don't know how it happened, but they didn't catch that she had a Bible, you know, in, in, in her pocket or something like that. And so someone still had a Bible. So she quietly just ripped it into 23 pieces. And we passed these pieces around so that whenever once we were separated, whenever we encouragement we could just sneak a piece of the bible out and just look at it and just be reminded and i'm listening to this going no way and then he goes and then all 23 of us one at a time we, we just surrendered our lives to jesus saying jesus if it'll bring you more glory for me to die then take my life I, i'm okay with it live or die i live for you he goes we all went around and just proclaimed to jesus that whatever you want he goes and then our pastor the senior pastor he goes he goes i already told them if anyone dies i die first and then this man that I was having dinner with, he's an older man. He goes, no, he goes, I also am a pastor and I am older than you and you need to respect your elders. I die first. <laughs> Thinking, no way. And then he said that his pastor goes, no, I'm a senior pastor. I am ordained and you are not. I die first. And I'm, I'm just sitting at dinner with this guy, listening to him. And, and, he, and, and sure enough, the senior pastor was the first one that the Taliban executed. Remember, and they threw him out in the road and said, look, another one's coming. And sure enough, they do it and kill another guy. And, and he's telling me about this and how they were in these you know, different places and they're put in these pits and the, the treatment they had and everything else. But the thing that blew me away was when he was done, he goes, he goes, you know, the crazy thing is over this last year, the different people that were on that team with me, they've come to me one at a time and they all say the same thing. They're going, they asked me, don't you wish we were back there? So don't you wish we were still imprisoned by the Taliban? They said, because there was a fellowship with Jesus we experienced there. There was an intimacy. They go, I had an intimacy with Jesus that I've tried to maintain, but I can't do it here in Seoul. Like I've tried. I just I'm not getting it. I miss that intimacy I had with Jesus. I wish I were back imprisoned by the Taliban. And I started thinking about scripture. Remember, remember when Stephen was being stoned? Remember Acts chapter seven and he's being stoned. And, and as all the people are getting the rocks and they're ready to hurl it at him, you think, man, what an awful moment. But at that moment, he goes, wait, shut up. I see Jesus. 
These guys are getting ready to kill him. And suddenly he has this, he goes, I see Jesus sitting at the right hand of the father right now. This is insane. And they're throwing rocks. He goes, I don't even care. I see Jesus right there. And there's this fellowship of suffering, like something happened during this suffering where we saw Jesus, just like those Koreans did in that, in that pit, just like that, that missionary did, just like, uh, just like when they threw uh, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego into that fiery furnace. It's like, what? There's four of them. It was just, there's something about when we suffer for his name's sake that I just believe there's this fellowship and I've been praying, oh God, you know what? I want that. Because I want you. I want everything about you. I'm done with what the world offers and what I can pull off. I want to know you. I want to know the power of your resurrection. And I want to share in the fellowship of your sufferings. Becoming like you in your death. That by any means possible, I may attain the resurrection from the dead. I don't know where you're at. If... um, if you're content right now, um, where you just go, I got enough Jesus. Or if you're like me and you've been reading this book and there's something in you that goes, I know there's more. I know there's more for me. I don't know Jesus like I could. I don't know his power like I should. Do you want Jesus? Or is your life fine as it is? My prayer is that God will make us men and women I say, I don't want any, I'm done with being gifted. And people go, ooh, you're so talented. I want to see the power of his resurrection. And I want to experience a greater intimacy with him, even if it means I have to suffer. And it seems like that's the only way that we'll really see him. Let me pray for us. Father, I pray this isn't just another clever sermon. I I pray that fire would come down. That your word would be so powerful and lives would change. I want to know you, Jesus. The power of your resurrection. Fellowship of your sufferings. God, I want it all. Help us, Lord. In Jesus' name.